As you're listening to the following music selections, adjust the volume, bass, and treble controls to suit your tastes. Welcome to Android's Dungeon, AD Radio on CFRU 93.3 FM, based out of the University of Guelph, Guelph, Ontario campus. This is Android's Dungeon, Pandemic Edition. Uh, this is live in so far as that we recorded the day before you're listening to this. And uh, it is just we are just in another lockdown because uh, life means nothing. Time is a flat circle. And, you know, frankly, nothing matters. None of this matters. So, you know, eat Arby's at the end of the day. Oh, <laughs> you sure? <laughs> uh, I am Jack, and I am joined by the uh, always lovely uh, JJB. How you doing, Joel? Wow, always lovely. Like, nice, nice. Uh, yeah, doing great, man. Uh, had a really good session D and D. I think I felt. Like I had a lot of fun, and maybe I made it a little too challenging, but it, you know, it wasn't too bad. Well, let, let's get into that in two seconds. Um, you can listen to us online at uh, cfru.ca or search Androids Dungeon in uh, all your favorite podcasting websites because that's where we should pop up. And I think Joel, you've been adding episodes uh, here and there. Yeah, well, I haven't been really doing my job, to be honest, but I'm working on it. This was just an elaborate attempt for me to call you out live yeah. on air, essentially. So, Oh, uh, no! Yeah, I, said just... I said it was my goal this week, but it's only Wednesday. <laughs> <There's plenty of laughs> time. It's an ambush. It's a lame ambush, but it's an ambush. Uh, well, let's get into it. It's uh, We just finished our weekly D&D session. Um, and I had a feeling based on how you're setting up the beginning and I, and a part of me wasn't quite sure whether this was actually in the book or not. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to say what my feelings are and then you can say whether I was right or not. Um, this is not what the book originally had us doing, uh, or the, the point stuff wow. was, but the, after that was just kind of like, yes, no. And then you kind of rolled with maybe coming up with an idea of how to make the session more interesting. Yeah, it was like uh, basically. I, there is like uh, it's basically like congratulations if they do this thing, like they've succeeded. If you want, you can then lead a frontal assault, and you can have them do this. And it sounded really boring. Well, because so it's I kind of repeating it. what you just did, right? Yeah, exactly. Except with like NPCs to make it easier. Mm-hmm. And I think you guys had almost an easy enough time <laughs> without the NPCs. So. Um, yeah, I figured I figured you guys give you give you guys the option, and I, you know, you could have led the attack if you wanted. I was pretty sure you weren't going to, because <laughs> yeah. who wants to fight like fifty Sahagin with like you know fifty NPCs on your side? It's like, well, let's just do this slugfest then. I mean, I tried that in my first campaign, and it was awful. So. I don't think it's awful. It's just, it's not, D and D just doesn't lend itself to stuff like that. Unless yeah. I think you are, um, it, it almost, there's no point in like rolling dice. It's almost just like having, uh, let's like, did you play a witcher too? Oh yeah. So, you know, at the beginning there's that giant fight. Um, yeah. so I fight. think if you just kind of 
recreate the the essence of that because you th- what's happening in the background it's not like the game's rolling dice and handling all these actions like all oh, the game you know they may get pushed back they may get pushed forward it's just like there's a specific sections that stuff happens and that's yeah. that and, and you could argue it's railroading or it's it's kind of um the opposite of kind of the, the tabletop sandbox experience but i'd argue also like what it's whatever you want it to be is it fun yes no yeah. is it engaging yes no so yeah, and I thought it was kind of fun. I, you know, obviously it was kind of a bold play. You guys could have been pissed if you were the kind of players that really wanted to, like, you know, accomplish the goals of like we need to invade this fortress. Yeah. But I was pretty sure, you know, I know you guys well enough that you were gonna have fun just, you know, picking one of these encounters and and roll with it. So did so. Let's get into the encounters. Did you have elaborate stuff planned for all of them? I did have. Uh, like monsters put into roll twenty for any of those situations, and I was just gonna try to balance it once you decided. So I had I hadn't like built them yet, but I had them. I had all the characters there. Let's make this educational then for any budding DMs who might be in a similar position. Walk us through your your thought process and also what you did in the background to set this stuff up. So before we go any further, what what it looked like was that. So what happened is. We, without going too deep into the specifics of the story, is that we we finished the section, then we came back, and then based on what we did, there were there was some behind the scenes uh, point scoring, and then the story kind of resolved itself based on what you did or did not do, and then after that, Joel had written out, I believe it was something like five or six sort of options, and it was I really loved the format of how it's delivered because it's like the characters all it's kind of a classic uh, method. I don't want to call it a trope because that carries a bunch of negative connotations for whatever it's worth, but sure. relaying the story to a bunch of people at the bar afterward and saying like, well, what story did you tell? And uh, so pick from that list and then you kind of like, yes, I remember. And it's like, blue, blue, blue. <laughs> and then you're, we're kind of replaying it in. Uh, so I guess it's almost like Witcher 3 in a sense. Is it Witcher 3? No, Witcher 2 again. That's funny. <laughs> Keep doubling back to that. Hmm. Yeah, I thought it was kind of cute. Yeah, and like obviously it was a it was a risk, I think a little a little bit, but like at the same time, I think it's a safe like, one. Yeah, pretty safe risk, right? Like you guys don't need to combat each thing. You could have just RP'd at the bar the whole time, but uh-huh. I thought that was like kind of a nice little thing to throw in. Plus, who doesn't like who, like you got so close to to like encountering that second god where you've already killed the the crab god? How are you not going to take that shot, right? Of course. It's such a cool thing to have accomplished to kill an avatar. Especially is, like legendary actions, legendary resistances and everything. Yeah. So when you're setting up this encounter, though, are you paying attention to the challenge rating or did you just dump stuff in there that's... Um... I did not look at the CR of anything, to be honest. Yeah. So I already kind of knew from your last previous weeks how you well you could handle like a priestess and a champion and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I hadn't seen any shell sharks. I didn't realize their AC was 18. But at the same time, you guys were like rolling 20s plus. So it was like it didn't really matter. Like I don't think you ever missed a shell shark even though it had this crazy high AC. Hmm. I did, I guess I probably should have looked at how much damage they were outputting, especially when one was able to do like 41. That was wild. Attack. But at the same time, you guys are like 79, 80 HP. So like if you guys like managed your health and had some healing and that kind of thing, you know, you'd probably still be okay even with hits like that. Yeah. We're getting into the 
story where it's like you kind of masters your own fate. You know, if you stick around with 30 health, you are risking your life. It's just tough. And I think this is something that maybe you've encountered or you've noticed. But in these areas, so take this place where we fought the, the shark. Um, and all this stuff. It, it's just a, at the end of the day, it's a wide open area where it's just like so boring. Yeah, and I tried. I, I don't know if you noticed, but I had two floors, and I was thinking maybe tactically you'd get to the top floor, shoot down. We'd have some things come out. I was gonna actually had guards that were gonna rush in on the top mm -hmm. floor, so that you had to choose. You know, do I stay on the top floor fight the guards? Do I go back down again? None of that happened because you know it's just a forward motion. Yeah, and it, it's tricky too because I think from a um, just a a raw like administrative aspect like are you gonna have two separate maps going are you gonna have two on top of each other then it's kind of it gets a little weird to look at and um yeah. just managing it all and i think even you you were saying this the previous time when you were doing the fort but the amount of npcs and just the way especially the way that the initiative fell that it was just we kind of all go and then all the monsters go and we've always talked about that's one of the problems when you're playing with uh, more than four people like five or six party member uh, campaigns is that it feels like forever in between your turns especially if you are let's say totally. melee oriented <laughs> your turn is fairly like, your turn is like 15 seconds okay party that takes about <laughs> five minutes for his yeah, turn exactly so it's uh and i think uh some generally speaking turns are going quicker but uh, there's still sometimes and you're just kind of staring there at the screen like holy smokes like what's going on here like what's happening to tell the truth jack and I, i'm gonna say this because i don't think he listens to this show uh -huh. uh, our friend mark i actually asked him to make the map for this campaign i had something visualized where there were two floors side uh -huh. by side and I, when I had it, I had it as a side view, kind of like an action-adventure side-scroller. Okay. Where you could jump down and back up. Oh, interesting. But when he was thinking top-down, he said, this is going to have to be two maps. Oh, okay. And that kind of took it out, because how are you going to play in two maps at the same time? Well, I had, yeah. this, I had this thing I found, which I think probably would have been more entertaining for this encounter, but I felt like I had commission mark, and I... I felt that I owed him, so I used his map. But this yeah. one looks pretty cool. It, it's definitely play. visually more intriguing, and yeah. uh, I can see, see what you're saying. The 3D, ground, yeah. You can have creatures underwater, above water. Yeah. There's the temple, you know. Oh, it, yeah. It, this is not has nothing to do with Mark, but this is a way better map. It's, yeah, it's, it's pretty dope, eh? Yeah. Which, whatever, right? I'm I'm fine to like use his map and. I think this gets to, and maybe this is a broader discussion to have right now, is that the, and I think I feel like a broken record, or maybe it's just in my head, or maybe our private conversations, but it, I, I think it's something that it, it takes so much work, but an interesting arena or interesting place is so important to keeping these fights intriguing and keeping a sense, a sense of a dynamism, if that's a word I can use, if it's even a word, period. But it, it's a combination of that and also NPCs and player characters actually behaving. Um, well, I say NPCs, enemies, whatever. What's the difference, honestly? But yeah. people like putting monsters so that they do interesting things. So, like in this map we're looking at here, that means nothing to anyone listening to the show. Is uh, there's different floors and there's water all around it and there's busted columns and it has this great sense of verticality and uh, stuff to do. But uh, if you have monsters kind of hopping into the water, hopping out of the water. 
hiding from you or you're maybe let's say this this maw is like can can free willy its way across one side to the other and it's like oh stay away from here or to the dodge him like it just it creates more interesting decisions and i think even with board games and um everything else that's what it comes down to is like are you are there interesting decisions and that's the tough part is a lot of the times in D and D has nothing to do with anything with you or Mark. Or it's just the system is that it, it unfortunately lends itself too often to, are you just, are you hitting things in front of you? Are you just casting a spell at something over there? There's not, not many options to kind of dodge or hide or use cover because I think the action economy is so sparse that you, you roll the dice, uh, pun intended to just be like no i just i'm gonna out damage the guy before like i'm not gonna take a risk of like hiding behind a a yeah. wall or something to and even then like I, I don't know like i would probably if i were to do that encounter again reskin it where the monster the the boss had more health and the allies had less or there were less allies because he only had 120 health it's not a lot 120 is like pretty easy for you guys to burn through and you well, did that's one tar- like knocking him down yeah that, that could be like one round where people yeah. roll high and that's that but it goes and, the other way too that could be characters could get destroyed instantly with one round of just like high rules so. yeah um but yeah, and I mean, I think I mitigated that with uh, with a crab god by I gave him like, and that was all custom. Was I gave him like a sh- a, a magical shield which you burn through in one hit. <laughs> it was like well, thirty still, HP, yeah. and then he he didn't do any attacks, but he would create those tidal waves, which obviously that was really that was cool. I thought that was they that's were dope. Original, eh? And then obviously, once he dies, he cracks into two other monsters. So there was a guarantee that this monster was gonna stick around and it was going to do some damage and it was going to do some cool things right so i, I really okay, like yeah. that guy that was great, Joel. super clever i really like that guy and yeah. and it gets into what i was talking about because also the arena too there's all these there's trees and there's these um these shacks or whatever and then uh, even though unfortunately the tidal waves appeared like only on one side um if i could personally if i would fix that is make it like the fight take place on an island or peninsula or some sort of inlet or something even if you had like nine different uh, quadrants and they like come you're not sure which quadrant they're gonna come in and you gotta try to guess which one you're gonna stay in well i'd be even nicer it'd be like you could waves appear in the southeast quadrant or something and you know it's gonna spread across this way so it forces players to have to move out of the way yeah. Maybe the the boss has summoned crabs in that spot, so it's like, oh, I got to go into the crabs, or maybe he's targeting the caster. So then a caster now has to, like, oh no, what am I going to do? I need the move, and now he's in in jeopardy. So it's it's stuff like that. That's that's really fun stuff that creates those those fun that's decisions. Like just you talking about it is like, man, that sounds awesome. Like I want to play that fight. <laughs> like, play test it. You know, I don't even care sure. if it's in a real thing. We just like try out different maps, different functions. Like yeah, we can it's... fix this combat. There's like the combat functionality in itself with the spells and the abilities and the attacks and all the what the monsters do. It's fine, I think. Like it's it's not the best, but it's not the worst either. It works. It works. It's the maps that suck. Yeah. I think. And, and... Yeah. Go on, please. You can you can create. You know, I wanted like I had this idea of like pillars moving up and down and platforms you know having to move and shift and maybe even things that you could destroy like little walls and stuff but i think that well to be honest Joel, when you were talking about the pillars holding up the area i i'm convinced i thought this was like the 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 secret way to end the encounter was to like destroy the altar or bring down the pillars yeah 
So, but then at the same time, and this is the issue with the game, and I feel like this is one of these things where you have to be as a DM and a player, there's like this give and take. It's like, okay, did you find the secret thing? Great, congratulations. Are the players thinking outside the box? And it's like, okay, you know what? I feel like there should be some reward for doing something like that. You just don't, nothing feels worse though than like, let's take the encounter we just did. Let's say our wizard decides to cast Shatter on the pillars. And you're sitting there going, oh, okay, well, there's nothing in the book. And I didn't really think about this. So you go, okay, well, we drop some rocks on a spot and like do like <laughs> 2d8 damage to the monster. And you're like, well, what <laughs> a cruddy use of a shatter. Like, I, that's not very fun. So I don't oh, know. Yeah, like, you could, as a DM, flavor something, you know, say something about the pillars. Maybe they look crumbly. Yeah, of course. Well, if you crumbly pillars, come on. Crumbly pillars, come on. Yeah, we got it. We got these things are coming down. Or about them too, and that's like something too. Uh, but then it got you know just as soon as I say that I think of like an arena set in like some crypt or something where there are pillars that are falling apart and you got to be really worried about like maybe there's some sort of charging skeletons that are more than happy to knock pillars down and that brings ceilings down on top of you. So it's just interesting stuff. So and yeah, I think I think we're the maps still have some problems, but I like that we're getting somewhere. You know, we're like Mm -hmm. starting to make some changes that are interesting and. I think D and D, you know, it's got some potential. It's got a, it's got a lot of potential, and it's uh, I I think when you really, I think my issue is that I get I get so paranoid. So when I'm, I'm when I'm designing encounters and I'm thinking about stuff uh, on the side here for my other stuff, or my other uh, not Storm came necessarily, but my, my the homebrew one is I, I get so into my own head about. Uh, what players are going to do, like what nonsense they have in their their up their sleeve, where I come up with interesting stuff. Then it's just like, uh, no, I cast a spell and it pushes all this away, and I just go, oh, geez, I spent fifteen minutes thinking about this. <laughs> you just yeah. ignore it, but oh, maybe I just got it. I mean, Mark always talks about recycling stuff, though. You know, like you spend a lot of time building something, and then they don't. They're just like, I don't want to go there. I think I was a real oh, shithead. Funny. Yeah. When uh, when we played Storm King's Thunder with Mark. And he had like the first mission was like some pigs went missing or something. We had yeah. to find him, and I was like, "No, I'm not going to do it." Runs <laughs> 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 and interested. Yeah, that's a classic thing. It's kind of like, oh, that's how it's going to be, eh? <laughs> well, what are you going to do? Okay, hey, you look, you found some pigs while you're out there. <laughs> but I, I don't you're know. Gonna roll by, <laughs> orcs show up and kill you all. <laughs> yeah, the, like rocks fall on your head. Uh, all right. Well, while, while we're on the subject, before we go to music, tell us about your Tuesday campaign. Did anything interesting happen? Yeah, I mean, they finally finally got uh, to Salt Marsh. They, they finally got to Salt Marsh. Yeah, so it was an RP session entirely. Uh, I did give them sort of like a hint. Uh, they decided for some reason, I don't know why, but they decided instead of going to Salt Marsh and you know, like staying at a tavern or something, that it would be safer for them to wait in their ship. So they dropped anchor in the middle of the harbor right next to the Isle of the Abbey. So I gave them a little flavor. They're level five now. They're about ready for the Isle. Sure. Um, a little flavor of like some orange glow in the forest, you know? Oh, nice. Give them a hint that something's there. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah. And then they went into Saltmarsh the next morning and uh, met the council, blah, blah, blah. Like they were so far behind as far as like the town goes that it was really like just like a, a scratch of on the surface. I think yeah. they just kind of like went to the, the wicker goat and had a pint and hung out and met a few mm-hmm. people that gave them mm-hmm. some town news. Uh, so probably tomorrow or next week, they're just going to go to the haunted house. Oh, <laughs> finish it off. 
<laughs> which is hilarious. You know, level it's five got... rolling up on the haunted house. So, are you gonna have them? Are you gonna let them smash it out of uh, a sense of uh, like? Yeah, uh, I'm gonna make it like a or... bit harder, but basically, it's just gonna be a, a romp. Yeah, but like you... basically, Sambalette, who's that wizard? You remember? Yeah. Or no, Pongata? Uh oh, They let him go. Oh, really? In exchange for some info, so obviously he went back to the haunted house and like you know enforced it up, laid a few traps. So we'll, we'll keep it interesting, but honestly, it's going to be a breeze for them. And then once they're done that, I'll kind of push the old Abby angle, probably. Well, you know what? I Here's here's what you should do, personally. I think you should let them steamroll everything up to the end and then ha- drop a hammer on them with uh, maybe having uh, Pankata or whoever come back as like... Surprise! Uh, yeah, yeah, just like it's... Uh, uh, I've been preparing for you ever since, <laughs> and just like yeah, all of a sudden, good. just like a, a, a quick switcheroo because I think it'd be hilarious to have him just like getting so cocky and confident that I was like, "Oh, this is not yeah. fun." Well, I don't and mean I'm, not fun, but uh, I won't make the house any harder. Like the house no, itself, keep it the you know, exact same. Some like grubs, you know, like bling, bling, dead, if dead. anything, make it easier. Just, yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> yeah, less creatures. Although I think you might find it's still quite difficult. <laughs> Yeah, some of the, the the centipedes with their poison, the swarms and things. Yeah, it's like it's crazy. So, I think it'll be an interesting. Uh, I, I look forward to hearing how that one goes. Uh, then let's take a musical break right here. Then we'll move on to our normal section of the show. So stay tuned.
Welcome back to CFRU 93.3 FM. What you just heard was A Day from Clan of Zymox from Clan of Zymox, the 1985 album. I think we've played that before on the show, but I don't care. It's been so long and nobody remembers, and uh, it's a great song. That kind of, uh, I don't know, I feel like it's either around this time or Halloween that I'm fond of it because it's featured on the uh, in the film The Guest. Mm. Um, that uh, I feel like you watch it, Joel, and you didn't love it as much as I did, but I'm concerned you weren't watching it. That's my issue. Do you remember that mm. one? The guest. Uh, oh no, yeah, I remember this. Yeah, this is uh, like the very handsome Dan from, uh, or maybe his name was just Dan on that. Uh, the guy from Downton Abbey. <laughs> oh, you let in. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But uh, I think the the director of that is, if I'm mistaken, it's Adam Weingarth. Uh, I might be wrong on that. Hopefully I'm not. But uh, he just directed, and it kind of ties in a little bit, but he just directed uh, Kong versus Godzilla or Godzilla versus Kong, which is uh, apparently quite a popular flick that people are enjoying, generally speaking. It's dumb. Yeah. It's fun. It's exactly what the world needs right now is seeing two giant monsters fight each other. Right? <laughs> uh Let's move on to the usual portion of our show, uh, usually involving board games, and I'm a little concerned, Joel, but what have you been playing recently? For some reason, the guest reminds me a little bit of The Gift. Remember that one with... Uh, Joel Edgerton? Joel Edgerton, yeah. That was an alright movie. I didn't mind it. It was kind of, kind of a nice twist. Actually, I almost recommended this one guy to you who was taking like a deep analysis of the thing and trying to figure out who was infected first and i've, I've seen videos of that stuff but he was so heavy on the like the like and the ring the bell and the subscribe i was like eh, he's a little i think I, we've probably seen the same video because i saw a guy who went through and was just like going through all the in potential infection stuff that figured uh, it out kind of thing well Maybe yeah it's like saying it's it's 100 you can 100 percent prove who was infected yeah. okay this was the guy yeah yeah but I'm sure there are one or two videos of that stuff. The thing, I, I didn't even know there were sequels. I, I probably don't want to watch them. Were there sequels or was it the, the prequel with, uh, what's his name from Underworld? You mean uh, Kurt Russell? No, no. The, the, from Underworld? The, the vampire werewolf? Oh, movie? I was thinking Waterworld. That's, yeah, not even that's Kevin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Costner. <laughs> Kurt uh, Russell, Kevin Gosling. Prince of Darkness? No, Prince of Darkness. What? That's what the Thing sequel brings up in Google. Is there a Thing too? For years after 1982, fans want to... Prince of Darkness. It's another Carpenter film. But... Interested in it making a sequel. Okay, so he didn't do it. Yeah. But he did give him a prequel starring Mary Elizabeth Winstead and Joel uh, Edgerton. Oh, it was Winstead. Oh, Joel okay. back again. Oh, look at that. That's funny. <laughs> Anyway, The Thing's a great movie. You should definitely watch it. I've been playing... I've, I've only played one board slash card I'm game. I'm waiting for this to turn into a Dark Moon or something. A ton of... Um, um, what's that sport thing that I do? Disc golf. But the I did play I a game of DC with Sam over the weekend. Okay. Same old, same old. But I got a Kyle Rayner win. Hey, congratulations. Exciting. And the best part of it was... <laughs> this is a bit uh, insular, but uh, uh, s every time a supervillain is purchased, a second supervillain comes up and attacks. And certain you can defend against all of them if you have defense cards. Yeah. But um, uh, the certain supervillain, uh, Necron, 
is a total up. Whoever to you total the value of cards in your hand, and whoever has the most valuable hand by cost has to destroy a random card. Mm -hmm. Everybody else gets to choose and destroy a card. Okay. I defended Sam won. She had a super villain in her hand, and that's the one I picked randomly to get destroyed. Oh. And not only any supervillain, but it was our Kilo Jack, and you know what that means. Is he the uh, the green or the orange lantern or? Uh, no, that's. that's... Uh, I can't remember. I know the greedy guy. I can't remember his name. Yeah, he's in that game too. Yeah, he's he's, only, he's just seven cost, so he's not a super fun. Anyway, our Kilo, big deal, right? For Kyle Rayner wins. You know about this? Why? Because our Kilo allows you to take all of your equipments from your discard. Uh, so I see. As you get Kyle in your hand, you play Arkillo, you get all your power rings. Yeah. Boom, boom. And if you play Kyle and three power rings, you win the game. Yeah. Now, wouldn't have been a big deal because it's destroyed, right? Except, Jack, that I had the Black Lantern power ring. Yeah. So pull some in the graveyard. Lantern power ring allows you to take villains from the graveyard. Oh, just villains? Yeah. That's very specific. <laughs> So I have the specific card to get me the specific villain to then yeah. put it in my deck. And then I had ca uh, Sonic uh, Canary Cry, which is the ability of Sonic Siren, who's sometimes a hero, sometimes a villain. I won't get into that. <laughs> um, which is an ability that allows you to put a card, any villain, on top of your deck. So obviously I play Sonic Siren to put the supervillain on top of my deck. Next turn I get him, I play him, I get all my equipments. I have three cards left in my deck. I know one of them is Kyle. <laughs> and a ton of my equipments are draw cards. So I just put draw card, draw card, draw card. I have one draw card left. Play it, pick up Kyle. Kyle and Power Rings win the game. It's just amazing feeling just like to have everything come together. It's always great feeling when you get a Kyle Rayner win. Yeah. It's even better when all these specific things have to fall in line for it to happen. So felt great. It's probably been about two years since I got one. Remember when I had that birthday party? And well, I was, was going to say, the, you're not talking about the boardroom one, are you? Yeah, so that was kind of like... That's more than two years ago, I think. <laughs> because... Well, I think I've had one since then, but um, it was a little <laughs> bit contentious because I was all excited and looking forward to playing Twilight Imperium, I think. It was This is two separate stories, Imperium I think. Or Civ. But anyway, yeah. at that birthday, I got a Kyle Rayner win. It was very exciting. I got a trophy. Um, <laughs> a trophy on his own birthday. It's like, <laughs> like sticker trophy. <laughs> Anyway, um, <laughs> the closest I ever was to doing like I don't play too much DC, but that's I had uh, Kyle and two rings, and I think I was pretty close. And I'm not nice. sure if the I think that either the game just ended right before I had a chance, or whether um, I, I don't think we ran out of time. I think we would have finished it. So, I, I, that, but that's the closest I've ever come to doing nice. something like that. And it felt pretty good. Yeah. So, and honestly, like I've been playing for like I think six years, pretty steadily, like at least once a week. Yeah. And I probably have like seven or eight. So, are you worried if if they made a digital version of this game? Do you think you'd just burn out on it? I don't think I'd play it because I'd rather play it with somebody like that I know in front of me. Mm -hmm. And I mean, when I was at Gen Con, I did participate in one of the DC tournaments, and they had their like new, I think it was Batman Ninja, 
mm-hmm. uh, deck out. But like honestly, their new stuff is kind of garbage. So, is it garbage, or do you, do you just feel like it's it's one of these things where ooh, it's new, I don't like it. That too, yeah. I'm de- I've only, I'm the kind of guy that doesn't usually get expansions. Yeah, because I'm kind of like, eh, you know, I really like the game as it is. Why would I want to change it? It's like we're polar opposites on this. <laughs> yeah. What is your feeling about expansions? <laughs> well, all of them all the time. Well, it depends. It's uh, there's certain stuff where um, I won't either not available or uh, like I I like to research stuff. And if somebody says uh, if the consensus on the geek is that the expansion is worthwhile, or if I, I read a good review where they talk about it, then I will say, I'll just grab it right away, especially if it's something that's been out for a while and you can get them both. Um, my problem is that, the generally speaking, I think expansions are more often than not good for the game. And there's nothing worse than buying a game and finding out there's an expansion that adds a bunch of stuff and it, it was a limited print run, or you can't get it, or it's mm. very difficult to acquire for a reasonable price, and that's the sort of thing that kind of haunts you, and you're like, you're sitting there just waiting for, like, I don't know, the inevitable Kickstarter reprint. Um, so, I don't know, maybe it just gets into the the collector sort of uh, side of me, but at the same time, there's certain games that I don't even have to tell you, like, you just, you never look back, and, like, yeah. the obvious one for me is Feast for Odin, that it's like with Norwegians built into it, it's just you never go back. There's zero reason to ever, ever look back on the base game once you get the expansion because it just. And also with your DC stuff, or like when you're playing DC, is it just the base game when you're playing? No, I'm playing the second game. And you're right, I do have like there are certain cards from certain crossover packs and other things that I really enjoy. Little and stuff, yeah. Have tweaked in. So like my deck is like a is like a if you were like thinking like magic, the gathering, it's like a special constructed deck Yeah, that you play with. So yeah, and that, no, they, I'm with you on that. And it, it it's kind of like this awkward spot. So if you have a, a deck building game, um, like let, let's take the, the big one dominion, like how many expansions are there for dominion? And I guess if you were being super crazy about it, you could, I'm not saying because the game doesn't support it. You can't play with them all, but you could have the option to theoretically grab like, like hit randomize and just pull one thing from every expansion just hope for the best i think it'd be a disaster if you did something like that because there's just so many weird things that could happen and maybe you get some wacky situations but um i personally i just think it'd be so obnoxious just putting it all away but that's just me but yeah well um, i was gonna ask about setup and putting things away when it comes to expansions like for example i don't know istanbul right where you have sure more stuff it's a pain do you think if you were to play Scythe like tomorrow, yeah. I think you played it recently, actually. Yeah. Would you use the what do they call those like flying boat things? I don't even have it. I, it's it's interesting because Scythe is a game that I didn't give, I I didn't care enough to get an expansion for it because the I don't have the other two factions. I don't have the Wind Gambit or whatever that one is. Um, the airships. It's just I I, I felt like I didn't need more. <laughs> if that makes sense fair i mean yeah scythe is already a massive game so i think for that one you will play the base game istanbul i think there's nothing wrong with throwing in a little coffee a little letter, some coffee like yeah. that. but what were you, sorry what was your question i jumped on you like are you saying would you bother playing without it or would you bother adding it yeah i mean if what i was saying was if setup and takedown wasn't a factor would you 
use the scythe expansions. I guess I already answered it. No. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. But let's. I don't know. This is veering into kind of a, an overall discussion on expansions. Period, which I'm I'm fine with. But it's kind of interesting thinking about. It's almost de rigueur for most euros released now to have exp- like not even euros necessarily. Some of these like dudes on a map, like these these uh, beat 'em up type games. Um, like I don't know the, these um, things like let's say like Lords of Hellas, for example. But the, these games that like they come out and they've already got expansions baked into it. So the, to me, that's always kind of bugged me a bit because I thought the idea to personally would have been an expansion is something that the game's been out and either there was stuff left on the cutting room floor that you couldn't fit in or you couldn't play test properly or just didn't quite work with when you were testing the main game. Um, and that with a bit of time and user feedback, you can say, okay, I can twerk, uh, tweak this. I can kind of make it work now. And then you release it later, like a year later or whatever. Um, yeah. yeah, and I think that the 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 very like there's playtesting, and then there's like throwing it out into the world and having sure. Them play and I think I think you got a point there that like there should be some heavier playtesting going on. And I'm concerned. Like... Go on. I I was just gonna say I'm a little more concerned about like deliberate cutting of content that whether it to keep yeah, the price down. Like... The DLC uh, stuff, it? or it's like... um, what's the most infamous one? I think it's Agricola, where they had a five-player game and then they cut it down to four-player and then sold the five-player, six-player function back as an expansion. It doesn't add anything to the game. You just can play with the original player count again. So it really didn't change anything, really. No. Wow. It's just for additional players. Now, does that strike you as the game? Like they. Like Uve and uh, Mayfair were sitting there, and they're going, "Oh, well, we can." I can't. I don't feel good about the five to six. I say, "Okay, we'll just do uh, one to four. Is it what? Can you play it by yourself? You can play solo, yeah. Yeah. So they just release that. The game explodes, and then they're like, "Oh, Uve, baby, <laughs> let's uh, Uve. let's let's release this thing." Or maybe they don't even like ask them. It's like, "All right, here's the five to six player," and it, you're saying, "So hold on, it doesn't wreck the balance, and we can sell it." Okay, boom, easy. More money, less problems. Yeah, right. That's that's the famous slogan. Yeah, that's so how. What it goes. about you, Jack? What have you been playing lately? It's uh, as far as board games go, it's been light. Um, the one I will address is I got to start to play 1861, 1867, which is this dual Ooh. pack, um, 18xx uh, experience from Grand Trunk Games. It was a Kickstarter. And it it showed up uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, I was telling Joel it it is without a doubt the best looking 18xx game uh, I've ever I've ever owned as far as production goes. It's just everything pops the uh, the production quality on the artwork and the cards and the tokens and the the everything everything you can imagine looks and feels great. Um, Something that I think I, I mentioned last time um, is that, and I, I really appreciate it, is everyone also gets a player aid that is really useful for, it may not be for you, but for if you're trying to introduce the game to new people so that you're not just sitting there going through the, okay, you do this, you do this, you do that, then that, maybe you do that. You can People can look at it and say, okay, these are the phases. This is what people do on this turn. This is when things rust potentially. 
this is when certain stuff happens. It's just lovely. Has tile trays, and mm -hmm. the tile trays are. I I'm going to start by saying there. It's a brilliant idea, and the fact that you can pull these trays out, put them down, you can pass them back and forth to people. Uh, people can say, "Oh, what tile fits here?" You just here's all the tiles. Look at them. Figure it out. The only issue, and this is kind of an interesting little like side story, is that the designer of the game found that when the tile tray showed up, the manufacturer in China had changed dimensions on the tray. And oh. what, what happened was that the tray still functions, but it's difficult to pull the pieces out if it's just one or Man. two pieces in the tray, uh, one piece in particular. And he said it was, he was very frustrated by that because they shifted the dimensions on him because they thought that, that they were doing him a favor. But in fact, he had actually, you know, mathed out and done the measurements himself and they ended up screwing him over a little bit on this. So he said he, he posted a big long thing after the Kickstarter saying lessons he'd learned from this one. And considering this was his first one, it's, it's a slam dunk um, overall. But going into the actual game, it's a very strange beast that... Um, so, like I said, it's 1861, 1867. So it's two games in one. You flip the board over, and it's a different place. So 1861 is set in Russia, pre-revolution, and 67 is set in Canada um, at that same time. So uh, we played the Canadian side because I, I I brought up to the cottage. We opened it up on the weekend, and we were there with my parents, and Kayla was there, and I I threatened them. I told them, "This is your Easter present to me. You have to play a game with me." And uh, I was getting worried because at one point I, I, it's like I was, it's like I'm too old to be doing this. But I was sitting there and I had set up everything in the afternoon. And I'm looking around at everyone just kind of reading and, and quietly enjoying themselves. And Dad's having a nap. And I'm like, no, this isn't happening. This is not no, happening. No. So I, I put it all away. And then we had dinner. And then we were sitting on the uh, uh, the the deck, I think, just watching uh, the the sun going down. It was quite lovely. And Dad was saying, okay, so we're playing a game after dinner, right? I say, uh, are we? He said, "Well, that's why I had a nap. I wanted to be ready for it." So I said, "All right, Aww. if you're if you're in, if you say you want to, because like, I'm not going to force anyone." So, anyway, set it all up again. The game is a gigantic table hog, Joel. It is insane. I've got this enormous table up at the cottage. That's like, um, it's very long. It's not the widest, but uh, every spot of it was filled up that of useful space, because there are the way the game is set up is that it's. At the beginning of the game, it's simulating the passage of time, and everyone can and only bid on these minor companies. And what you do is you auction them off, and the minimum bid price is hundred dollars. And this is after the the kind of a semi typical uh, private auction. So the first person in priority gets to say, "All right, I'm going to auction off, let's say, like the, the the Buffalo Niagara." And you can pick whatever price you want to auction off as long as it's more than hundred. And you go around. Whoever wins it takes that. Uh, card and its own charter and puts it down and then you can operate that company but it's only got one share it's just a 100% share. One share yeah so it's basically like running a minor company where it pays out half like half goes to the company half goes to you and you just keep going so what happens is is that you go through and everyone does this and trains are, are and companies are started you have to buy your trains as usual and as soon as the twos are gone you get into the threes then you have the opportunity for companies to merge or convert so if two minor companies can trace to each other via a track, they're eligible for a merger. And that means you can take mm. them, and I believe you add their stock price together, and then you take, uh, uh, and then you choose one of the major companies, 
uh, again, there's no start positions. I didn't actually mention that. There's no start positions on the board for any company. So you pick any of these guys, you start them wherever there's space. So if you merge companies, you take a major company, you get rid of the two merged ones, and then all of a sudden, boom. Now you've got a regular major company that has its normal share set up, and it's all incremental capitalization. So you buy into the company at stock price, it goes in its coffers, so on, so on. Rinse and repeat. Um, the real wrinkle is that there's the National Railway. So after, I believe it's, and we didn't get this far, um, but after the four trains come active, the National Railway active, and what it does is it exports a train every turn. And the game ends when all the trains, or when the first eight train is purchased. And after that, you have your three ORs and you just finish the game. So that's just like, it's kind of like trying to add a timer to the, the game per se. But um, it, this sounds kind of overwhelming. Hopefully I didn't bore you too much describing no. the, the system. But, sounds uh, cool. Is this the one that just like had just like everything? No, that's 1817, which actually is very similar in a lot of regards to the, the mergers and converting. Um, so there's a, there's a fair bit going on. And I think if I had known there was so much going on, I would not have attempted to foist it on complete newbies to the genre, let alone mm -hmm. my parents. But in general, I think it was still valuable and they, they, they're figuring it out by the end, uh, even though a lot of the mechanics to it that I consider second nature required some, um, you know, sort of explanations to like understand how I got to the, that, that line of thinking. So. Did they anyway. question you like, oh, you got seventy four dollars? Like, well, I think I should get more. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. There, there was, but I don't think it was. It was ever like uh, that couldn't be explained or was a joke. So <laughs> I, I didn't. I never felt uh, too aggrieved. But uh, anyway, Kayla was doing really well, and uh, honestly, I think if the game had kept going, she uh, was in a prime position to have several companies together. And I, and I also think that my parents were starting to get it. as soon as I explained them the idea of like. You own, you're an investor and you're running these companies. They're not yours. Uh, your money is separate. But as soon as I showed them like the, the thing about, okay, so you, you're running these two companies. You can sell that train to that other company for a dollar if you want to. Or you can buy that train for as much money as you, you want from that other company to move money around. And I think there was a moment where it's, my father kind of saw it and it's like, ah, I kind of get yeah, this. Yeah, it seems kind of like a concept that they could really... Uh, you know, sink their teeth into and have fun with. You, you'd hope so. So anyway, long story short is that I, I was mostly impressed with how it went. I just kind of felt bad that um, it, it was more of a beast than I anticipated unleashing. And uh, But everyone was a really good sport and Kayla was really helpful with explaining and being positive. So it was, it was great. So anyway, that was 1861-67. Uh, uh, hopefully I can cool. get a full game report in on that guy. What were you going to say before I jumped on you? Uh, I think it was gonna say I can't remember, but um, I was I was gonna say that now that you've gone through you know a decent amount of these 18xx games, do you think you could rate them from like maybe one, two, and three for your favorites? I think we did this a little bit ago, but I, uh, let me hear yours. I'm curious because you've played enough of these, and I think you can. Um... I think 18 max is definitely my number one still. Really cool. 1830 is definitely up there in the top three, either second or third. And I yeah. really like 60, 60. Yeah. yeah. Those three, I think like, and I, I think what was it? 49 was the incremental I played or was it 46? 46 is incremental capitalization. Yeah. The incremental crap. <laughs> like it. Yeah. Incremental crap. That's actually how I felt about it. Yeah. No, I think that it was really cool, but I just don't think I'm ready for it. 
it the the shenanigans you can do with incremental cra uh, crap and that's all i can think of now <laughs> is uh it, it's i love it i absolutely love it uh and i think uh it, it's the real sort of um it, it makes more sense too from from uh if you're explaining that to people like i guarantee if i had tried the show introduce uh, a non-incremental cap game to uh my father he'd be very confused about like what hold on why is a company getting 10 times its stock price why why how come when i buy from the stock market the company's not getting the money from this i'm confused at this so i don't know <laughs> it's it, it, i think that we've talked about this before but i think the strategy it adds is just so uh tasty and mm -hmm. just creates way more interesting decisions and just maxing parring a company as much as you can get away with and hoping for the best because i've never seen anyone not do that but maybe maybe i'm not getting something here and i think we've talked about the fact that the theme and the idea of like just investing in things is fun in itself and yeah. then you add on to that all this like running a train which i don't know what it is about running trains but it is so attractive to <laughs> us guys you know it's just like man this is so cool you know do do get it on board and it's going to the next station it's and, uh, I mean, like that whole model train thing like i could totally you, like if i had the money and the time i would totally get on board with that how cool would it be is ha having uh you can see why there's model train clubs like people sitting there and just like getting away from it all recreating landscapes and uh doing like nope sounds like somebody's here it's eduardo spigardo recreating these little worlds to uh do your like fictional train universe or recreating stuff like, same thing for any sort of uh specific hobby of like uh model soldiers or war or whatever that is it's just mm -hmm. very specific temperament to do that stuff so it's a nice mix and i think yeah like war i think is another theme that you touch on that like for some reason is really popular where i think that the reason why these guys like asl so much it's this combination of a really well built function or a combat function which like delves into like very analytic people enjoying their strategy yeah and that theme of like you know leading leading an army yeah it's 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 power fantasy mixed with um a very strategic sort of uh i like you're saying analytic tactics um it, it, it's i think a lot of it too is a lot of very um uh top level cause and effect stuff of like setting up dominoes like and i think maybe when you you abstract it like hex encounter stuff and you're seeing the uh the troops it's kind of like the matrix like i don't even see the the numbers anymore i just see blonde brunette red i just see uh luftwaffe yeah, yeah. and i just see SS, I just, yeah so I don't know. I'd, I'd I'd love to watch some ASL, and I don't think I'd ever look on YouTube because I feel like that's not the same thing for me. But uh, what do you think? Do you think Warhammer is kind of like the uh, the Dane Cook of ASL? <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> I, I'd love to watch people play Warhammer, but I have a feeling it'd just be so boring that I, like yeah. unless you saw some really top tier people playing. But I just can't imagine. Like in my mind's eye, I'm just seeing people sitting there arguing over rules and like getting their rulers out and just like just playing magic the gathering style tournament stuff where it's like uh referee referee can you can you explain this for me please it's just like it, it sounds like hell <laughs> i don't know it could just be me um i guess the last the dying minutes of the show i do also want to point out that uh, I, I haven't gotten as much time to do it as I'm, i'd like to but it's it was the sixth year anniversary of bloodborne 
recently. And uh, the the nickname for it was the only reason to own a PS4. And uh, it, it, honestly, it might be that it might still be true. There, there could be some other reasons, but uh, as far as exclusives go, it's the one that I think most people would argue is the only reason really worthwhile having one. Um, and it's if you haven't had a chance to play it, I highly, highly, highly recommend it. I think it's just one of the easily one of the best games of the last console generation, and it's aged like wine, minus the fact that. Um, there's this guy on uh, Twitter who has gotten the game to run at 60 frames a second on um, the uh, the PS4 Pro just using his own injected code onto it. And it's it's when you see stuff like that that makes you go, what's stopping Sony or from from doing their own thing to make th- to make their game as good as like some random guy on the internet who's a huge uh, fan of their <laughs> of their game enough to like hack their copies for on the console so regardless it's just tremendous game tremendous soundtracks tremendous mechanics tremendous graphics top to bottom just like a a total package genre would you give it uh action rpg i guess third person action rpg so but have you have you played any of those games like you played a bit of dark souls didn't you Mm -hmm. yeah i played dark souls 3 and kind of like got i think as far as I could in Dark Souls without knowing all the controls, because I needed there was a section then where something's shooting an arrow at you and you need to put a shield up. But I couldn't figure out how to use shield, so I quit. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I think there's this very sad amount of people that have actually made it to the first bonfire. So yeah, I don't blame I did, you. I did a fair bit of rolling around in Dark Souls three, and I I kind of got the hang of it a little bit but yeah you know, I'm, i did not get good well three is actually a fairly weak game overall but so i don't blame you it's it's not it doesn't really grab you but uh, it's it's still better than two and i'll let the uh, contrarian nerds fight over that one so uh but on that note i think we'll end it there so uh thank you for listening to android dungeon on cfru 93.3a or on your favorite podcasting websites uh Hopefully, Joel, by the next time we Tune talk in. to you, yeah. Hopefully you'll have there'll be basket. something for you to listen to. Although, oh, you know, <laughs> you know that the whole world is tuning to CFRU at this point because they just can't get enough. A light in the darkness. That's yeah. our job talking about board games. Yeah. Video games We're still out golf. there, folks. Don't give up. <laughs> don't, don't end it all. Joel and Jack <laughs> still JJ. making content. There's something to live for. <laughs> put the noose down. We're here. Or actually, just just get rid of it, just in case you really dislike what you hear. So I don't you know what to say. Laugh or something. <laughs> uh, all right, that's it. So stay tuned for whatever show follows us. I can't remember right now. I haven't looked at the schedule in a while. And uh, stay safe and enjoy the nice weather. So have a good one. I'm Jack. I'm Joel. Bye-bye.